Well, the Bible's either true or it isn't. I say it's true. The Bible says that the power of God is released and when His people praise Him. It's either true or it isn't. I believe it's true. So there must be power in this room right now because we all just praised Him. I'd like to see if there's power to heal. To do that, we would need some sick people to come up right now to receive prayer. If you're sick here today and would like to receive prayer, come on up. Big big prayer, little prayer, big sick, small sick, come on up. Just come on up and make a line, kind of shoulder to shoulder here. Let's get you some prayer. <laughs> big sick, small sick, come on up. We just need some sick people. God brought you here. Just come on up. Anybody else? Come on up, Judy. Come on up. Just kind of make a line. I believe the power of God is here. Let's let's not miss out on that, right? So you guys are here because you believe that God would move in your life, in your body. Cool. Now we just need some prayers. Come on up if you want to help pray for these people. Just get in front of them. Line up with somebody. Just kind of let the Lord lead you to line up with somebody. Just follow it. You'll have a little stirring maybe in your heart. Just follow it. That's cool. Just come on up. Don't do anything yet. Just come on up. We have some some more here. There we go. Thanks, Reva. Good. One more. One more lady. You're waiting for prayer too, right? Okay. Someone right here, please. We need another prayer. Oh, Melody, you coming? Okay, right over there. Good. You can come in too, Peggy. Yeah. You can double up. It's in the Bible. <laughs> you can totally double up. So everybody squared off with somebody? Take a minute to introduce yourself to them and make sure you remember their name. The person you're praying for, make sure you remember their first name. Very important. Okay? Very good. Very important. If, if you got nervous and didn't remember their first name, ask them again. It's important that you know their name. I, that happens. That happens. It's okay. It's important that you know their name. Okay? Okay, now I want you to ask the person, or those of you who came for prayer, tell that person who's going to pray for you in one sentence what it is that you want prayer for. One sentence. Could be one word. But just don't need a medical history, just one. Okay? Okay, got it? That's all you need to know. And then now I want you guys who are praying for to ask the person, is it okay if I put my hand on your forehead while I pray for you? Ask them. If they say yes, go ahead and do that. If they say no, I don't know what we're going to do because I don't know what to do if they say no. Okay. Okay. Now, I want you to pray real simply something like this. It's got to come from your heart. It's not just repeating the words of somebody else, but from your heart. Father, I thank you for your healing power. And I thank you for, and then say the name of the person. 
And when you say that, when you thank God for the person you're praying for, see if he'll stir your heart a little bit for him so you can kind of connect. That's something that Jesus did called compassion. Greek word splank needs am I. Compassion. Just let your heart stir a little bit for who that person is as you thank God for them. And then I want you to pray for them, but I want you to shift from asking God to do something to taking your place as one who is seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, as Ephesians says, and I want you to see if you can command that person to be well. Kind of almost speak to the issue in the name of Jesus. It's not you. It's not us. It's not Vineyard. It's, just, it's Jesus in the, in the name of Jesus. You speak to that issue. Say, be healed. And just try to let that come from a deep place inside of you. Sometimes you do get a little worked up. I understand you don't have to get all loud for it to work. But if you feel a little stirring, go ahead and you know, let, that, let that happen. Command, in the name of Jesus. Okay, let me ask those of you who are being prayed for, Raise your hand up high if you're kind of sensing something's going on inside of you. Be honest. Don't raise it up if it's not. But we just want to kind of see what's going on here. Just sensing. Okay. See these hands? That's cool. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay, now just kind of close up your prayer and send them away. (laughs) Feel free to tell them you love them. Okay? If If that's in you. Jesus' name. There you go. It's not a bad day. Cool. Hey, tonight I'm going to start a four-week Bible study on the book of Jonah. In case you think that's just some Old Testament story about somebody who ran away and got caught by God, there are, there are messages of God's grace, of a type of Christ in there. Jesus even referred, you know, as, as Jonah was in the, inside the great fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. And so I'm going to start that tonight. We're praying that the uh, weather, threatening weather, will start at 7 and not 6. So our, our gathering will be at 6 tonight. If you'd like to come to that, it'll be in here. It's... It's kind of a lecture thing. I'll, I'll talk for 40 minutes or so, and then we'll open it up for a few questions. We'll go home. There's no worship. There's, it's, just Bible, it's a Bible study. So if you want to come for that, love to have you. That's tonight at 6. Um, also, on Tuesday nights around here, we have, uh, we don't know what to call it, because we don't want to call it a prayer meeting, because that sounds, it sounds like something you might already have been to. And these are so unique. These are so cool. I kind of call them prayer gatherings. We come together on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock and see what the Lord wants to do. We'd love to have you come. If you're, if you're curious about that sort of thing and kind of have a heart to pray or you know, just longing for a little more worship, a little deeper connection, that kind of thing, I think Tuesday nights would be your, be your thing. Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. Okay? Say yes or I'll start again. Okay. So Jesus said, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think we'd all agree that we get exactly one shot at this life, yeah? We get one chance. Some lives are seconds long, some are a century, but we all share that we get one, one shot at this life. And as a result, I think that we all agree that we want to live the best possible version of the life that is in front of us, yes? Have you noticed there's kind of a range of options? That like if this is the best life and this is the worst life, that we kind of live in some kind of a transitional nature between them sometimes, anybody? Some of you have been all the way on this side, haven't you? Me too, it's not fun. Some of you are here because God called you out of this side into his wonderful light, as it says in 1 Peter. And so we have this opportunity to make some choices about where we're going to live this life. And I think we are all agreed that we want to live the best possible life with the one that we have. So I feel led to bring all y'all this six-week series of messages that I want to call Living Your Best Life. Living Your Best Life. Now, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I thought that was a phrase that was original with me. I did. So a couple months ago, I'm praying about, Lord, where are we going, you know, and and I get this phrase, living your best life. And it started to get pretty intriguing in my conversations with the Lord and stuff. Living your best life, living your best life. For the last couple of months, I've been kind of working on it, you know, outlining it and working together with it in prayer and study and stuff. It wasn't until this week that I actually Googled it. And I discovered that I'm following in the footsteps of Joel Osteen and Oprah Winfrey. Who, over the past couple of years, have done something with the phrase, living your best life. I didn't really look at their material or where they went with that, but I feel very certain that my material is going to be different from both of those people. I just feel pretty confident of that. I did find a website by a guy named Joshua Becker under that, under that phrase, and he's blogging about his experiences with his family with minimalism. And what they've done is they've, they've just gotten rid of the TV, they've gotten rid of all kinds of stuff, all kinds of the complexities of life, and have found that they're living their best life now without all the stuff. Yeah, and so it's kind of cool. And, um, and, and one of the things he said was that in the process of getting rid of the best, all that stuff in pursuit of living their best life, is he said that they rediscovered the faith that they had as children that were taught by their parents but had wandered away from that when they got rid of the stuff, Jesus was in the middle of the simplicity. That's pretty cool, eh? That's a little plug for you there, Tara. Rhythms of grace, simplicity, right on. It's awesome you're doing that study. 
But anyway, I feel certain that I'm going to be a little different than that, that content. But the Bible has lots of good counsel about how to live the best possible version of your life. And over time, I've recently isolated six biblical qualities of living that I, th- I hope will be a help to you. There are probably more, but these are the six that I feel led to bring to you over these weeks and hopefully create for you a foundation of, of strength and a foundation of knowledge, a foundation of inspiration for you to begin uh, moving toward the, the best end of the scale. Because it doesn't matter where you are on the scale, it seems like there's always opportunity to move toward the best. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things I'm going to do this uh, in this series that I've never done before is I'm going to give you a takeaway each week. So what we mean by that is that as you leave each week, on your way out, there'll be a couple of people standing out by the door offering you these things. And uh, what I've done is just given you some steps to take this week, if you like. It's up to you, of course. But um, the first few steps are about how to how to proceed from what we've talked about today. And the last few steps are about how to get ready for the next step, for the next week. And so you'll come with the pump kind of primed. All right? So feel free to take those. They're very simple. They're not complicated. And you can, you know, use them as much or as little as you like. I hope you find it helpful. There you go. You're welcome. Well, today I'd like to begin with what I believe the Bible says is the single most fundamental element of best life living. And that is that our, our lives must be defined by prayer. The very definition of our lives. The very definition of our lives. The understanding of our purpose has to proceed from a consistent life of prayer. In order to begin moving from wherever you are right now to the best possible version of yourself. You know, Don Ivers 6.0 or whatever we're up, up to on you, Don. I don't know. We've remade you several times. Uh, move toward the best possible version of yourself. It has to be a life defined by prayer. And Don would be one of the first to agree with me on that. It has to be a life defined by prayer. You're not going to be able to outrun this one. You know how sometimes we'll bring a teaching from the Bible and you'll go, yeah, I disagree with half of that. That's fine. You're not going to be able to get away from this teaching in the Bible about prayer as the substantial foundation of your best-lived life. There, there are too many examples. Ask me for a few. Okay, let's start with Moses. He's kind of a big deal, right? Moses, did you get to that far in the Bible? You should be there. Exodus, most of you. Okay, Moses. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, church? Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. So you see what's happening here. Moses had a rhythm of his life where he would go into the tent of meeting. He would intentionally spend time, intentionally is the key, intentionally spend time with God, and then he would return to the camp. And he didn't know what to do at the camp unless he had been in the presence of the Lord, unless he had had some kind of communion with the Lord. And I think this is the lesson. If we want to live the best version of our lives, how do we know what to do unless we have a consistent life of conversational prayer with the Lord? Let's go to David. He was kind of a big deal, yes? Let's read together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David had reason to be afraid. Throughout every season of his life, there was somebody that was after him. But he said, I won't be afraid because I'm not my own strength. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And he said, here's how I get that. I desire to be with him. I desire to see him. I desire. I desire. One of his psalms, he says, I will awaken the dawn. He says, I'm going I'm I'm to awaken the sun in my process of being with God. Which brings us to the next verse from Jesus, which I have quoted how many hundreds of times so far, I don't know. How many more times will you hear this between now and Jesus comes back? As many as there are possibilities, probably. Ready? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus, God in the flesh, God incarnate. Philippians 2 says that he laid down his right to be God, so he was something very unique and interesting among us. But still, he set the model that if you want to live your best life, if you, want to, if you want to be caught up in the full purposes of God for your life, it's a matter he got up, he left the house, and he went off to a place where he prayed. The first century church was characterized by this also. Let's read this last one. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is a description of the first century church. By this time, Jesus had already died for our sins risen from the dead, and had just recently ascended to the Father. And these, these people are all together. What are they doing? They're praying. They're praying. What's with the reference to the women? Well, here's the deal on that. This is, this is, the, this is the, the beginning, the opening of a brand new paradigm of thought among spiritual people. Because, because you know, in, in the Jewish culture, it was a male-dominated society, and the men did the praying together, and the women, you do all you ever do, you know, over here. And that helps to understand some of the other New Testament passages about women not speaking in the church and stuff like that. But what's happening in this context is saying, you know, it wasn't just the men, but it was the women. That's the, that's the significance of the reference to the women, that they all joined together, that the gender barrier was broken. The Bible says that in Christ there's neither slave or free, junior, Greek or male or female, that we're all, we're all kids of God. We're all children of God, Right? Loved by God. And so this is an invitation absolutely to everybody. What I've done is just given you four quick examples. I could give you 40 if I thought you'd let me. Of examples of people who lived these great lives that were characterized by prayer. That were defined by prayer. That flowed from a life of prayer. And uh, the Bible says in the book of James that there are two kinds of wisdom. James chapter 3, I think. Two kinds of wisdom. It says there's a wisdom... From earth and earthly wisdom, and then this is a heavenly wisdom that comes by revelation from God. And we can live a certain way with earthly wisdom, right? And some people live pretty good lives by earthly living, by earthly wisdom. I'm not knocking that. But they don't live their best life until they're in communion with God and get the revelation of His wisdom. Some of you are living in seasons right now where you're trying to sort things out from the standpoint of earthly wisdom. Things you know, things that make sense to you. And there's value in that. But there's exponentially greater value in developing a lifestyle of communion with the Lord so that you receive His wisdom. So that you receive His wisdom. And sometimes the counsel you receive from the Lord will be contrary to the counsel of men, but you go with it. And you see how God blesses that. Well, the life of prayer 
the, the, the life that's defined by prayer is the foundational element of living your best life. It has to begin here. It really does. And start by having this conversation with God, developing a life of prayer where you sense, you might not call it the voice of God. Some of us maybe use that phrase and, and some of us have a reason to, but you'll get a stirring from God. You'll get a, 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 some people call it an unction from God, something that the Bible says and then it's like, man, that, I feel like that verse was just written for me right there. And a personal stirring from God. And as you develop this as your manner of prayer, then your best life will flow from it because you're inviting God to order your steps. The Bible says that the steps of a righteous man, anybody know this? Are ordered by the Lord. And so if we want to live that best life, we have to develop a life of conversational prayer where the Lord speaks to us, where he start, and it'll start real small at first, but it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger to where you can become very accustomed of letting God call the shots even as you move through the day. This is an exciting place to live. And this is really what the model of prayer in the Bible is meant to be. If you start in the Old Testament read all the way through, you will see that the, the, the basic core model of prayer is not about asking God for stuff which is kind of what we think prayer often is in our culture. It's about having communion with God. Now, the Bible does teach us to make requests from God and make bold requests from God, but only second to the fact that we're having communion with God. If you ask for anything in my name, he says, I'll do it, didn't he? And how many of you have prayed the prayer, give me the, give me the new car, give me the new husband, whatever, in, in the name of Jesus, you know, and it didn't happen. You're still stuck with the same car, the same crappy husband, right? And you prayed it, and you said in the name of Jesus. See, that's not what in the name of. In the name of Jesus means that you're in communion with the name of Jesus, that you're, you're caught up in the company of Jesus. And your prayers then, the stuff, the requests, flow from that. It breaks my heart that so much contemporary teaching of the church, at least in America, in this you know, post-enlightenment, post-postmodern, post-Christian consumerist world, I don't think I could repeat that, don't ask me to, that so much of the teaching on prayer seems to be about how to try to get you to learn how to get stuff from God. Like he's the doorkeeper in the grand Ikea of the universe or something, you know. And, and if you pray right, you're gonna, he'll let you in. You can pick out some stuff, right? I mean, it's kind of how it goes down, is it not? There is value in asking God for things, for making bold requests, but only second, only second, only second only second to have in communion with him, have in fellowship with him. I accidentally landed on Christian TV on some of my time off. By the way, I wasn't sick. I, some, a couple of people came in and said, are you feeling better? Yeah, I guess. Uh, did, Tony, did you say I was sick? Where are you? He, he's gone home. He was here for the first service. He's, did he say I had the flu or something? Adam had the flu. Oh, yeah, he was sick. Yeah, he's better now. Some of you might think I was sick. I was in Michigan, <laughs> visiting family. But what was I talking about before that? If you don't know, you should. We should. Know. Oh yeah, yeah, Christy. Yeah. So, so in some of my, you know, some of my time off, I realized I need to take, I need to get a little separation, sit and chill. And so, I was one of those mindlessly, you know, we have antennas. We don't have like cable or anything, but. 
we got like 10 or 12 channels, you know. And I always have to go through all of them to convince myself there's nothing on, right? <laughs> do you do that? I don't know how, how you guys do this with cable or you got like 300 channels. You go through all 300 of them to find out, well, there's nothing on again. How about that? Must take you a lot longer. Save some money. Just cancel that. Get some antennas, you know. Sometimes I have to have Karen kind of stand over here this way. There's a football game on or something. But, you know, you can go through that in just seconds. But I made the mistake of landing on that one Christian TV channel. And if you like Christian TV, that's fine. If you get a blessing out of that, that's fantastic. But when you're me and among your gifts, you know, one of them is cynicism, it's, it's not a good place because there's just too much oddness. And we have our own brand of odd here, right, the vineyard? I mean, we're... But it's our brand, right? And I usually don't have any sort of theological conflict with what I hear, but they're just so weird. I don't know. So I landed on this lady with gigantic hair. I don't know who, I don't know who she was, but it's enormous hair. And I'm sure she's a great lady. And I'm sure she could make fun of my hair. I mean, hello. There's no problem of that. And, but she was saying something along the lines of um, that she knew how to get cars from God. Now, I'm only using this for illustration because I don't judge her. I know her heart's right. She knew how to get cars from God and the specific cars. And if you called in or checked into their website and, and listed specifically what car you wanted and, you know, the color and the interior and stuff, that she's, she's sure she could get that for you. Now, I don't have a problem with asking God for a car if you need a car. And I don't have a problem with you telling him what you want. What I have a problem with is teaching the church that that's the primary purpose of prayer, to get stuff from God. The primary purpose of prayer is not getting stuff from God. The primary purpose of prayer is getting to know God. It's getting to know God. And that's awesome. When your prayer life gets enough altitude that you're connecting with the presence of God and His Spirit is touching your spirit, it's like... Yeah, I had a list of stuff here I was going to talk to you about somewhere, but I kind of forgotten. <laughs> and when you get to this place in prayer, where you get past it and you realize the opportunity is being offered to you by God through the power of His Holy Spirit, where you can have communion with God, then your best life begins to emerge. Because through that, He begins to order your steps. Does that make sense? See, as long as we see prayer primarily as how do we get stuff from God, then what we're doing is we're saying we're still working from the wisdom of earth. And we're saying, here's what I think I need, God. Here's what would round things out. I mean, I got a good job. I got a good wife. I got a good this. I got a good that. I'm good. But you know what I could really use? And then we, our prayer then becomes centered around that. And we begin telling God what needs to happen. And that's working from the wrong side of the equation, Right? When we come to the other side, we approach God as saying, I want to have fellowship with you, God. Like it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, if you want to read something later, 1 John 1, 3, I want to have fellowship with you, God. I want to have fellowship with you, Father. Then watch how your list changes. Just watch. And watch how your life, life flows from that. Because what's happening when you do that is you're taking another step. You're taking another step in taking up your place in the created order. You know you were created, right? We were created by God. And what does the Bible say we were created for? What were we created for? To know God. To have fellowship with God. 
He made us for fellowship. We're not just super intelligent dolphins. Look, dolphins are different. Dogs are different. We're not just super intelligent mammals. We were created by God. And and the Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We are created to have fellowship with God in the garden. Sin came in. What happened? Broke the fellowship. Bam. Bam. The fellowship was broken. Centuries go by. God sends his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. The redemptive work of Christ is not only to purify us for our sins so we can go to heaven later, but so we can restore fellowship with God now, resume our place in the created order. So when you do that, when you begin to have fellowship prayer with God, you resume your place in the created order, then your purposeful life flows from that. Is that making sense to anybody? Okay, one, two, thank you. Okay. But as long as we see it, you know, the primary purpose of prayer is getting stuff from God, then we, we limit that. We limit that. Go to God first. Don't worry about the list until, until you've been smitten by his love. Until you get something that stirs inside of you or happens in the room where you go, I gotta have some more of that. <laughs> in the thing that I read for you earlier, the passage, Jesus said, But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And you go, Aha, he will reward you. You're gonna get stuff. I need to tell you something. The promised reward of the Father is the Father. The promised reward of going in and closing the door, hanging out with the Father, the, the reward is the Father. Is a sense of his presence, a sense of his nearness. The list becomes secondary. It's kind of what we do here on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock is we, we go back in that room and we turn the lights a little low. I get my guitar out and we worship our way into, into kind of a closet, if you will. And sometimes it's really loud and raucous and sometimes it's almost silent. Sometimes we pray for requests and sometimes we don't. Because the real trajectory of that time is in getting into the presence of God. And in doing that, then, it enables the presence of God to come on the church. Okay. So when we develop the life of secret prayer, then something fascinating and essential happens. God actually defines our lives. So our life is defined by prayer. I like to think of prayer as uh, a coloring book. Okay. So remember when your little one, your little genius came and they'd managed to stay inside all the lines? Remember that time? I mean, you know how coloring is in the beginning. It's like right all over the place. Mommy, oh, that's wonderful. It's not. <laughs> but eventually they get this idea, oh, different colors go inside of different lines. And they come back and they say, Hey, look, and you go, oh, my baby's a genius. Yes, of course. It's a big moment. I like to think of prayer that way. Think about it. Why are we so excited about a kid who could stay in the lines? Shouldn't we be excited about the kid who can make the lines? I mean, somebody made the lines. Somebody made the frog that the kid colored green, right? Somebody made that. It's wonderful that children color frogs green. It's fantastic. But I want you to think of prayer like this. That prayer, when you have this kind of communion prayer with God, when you develop this over time, God is actually defining the lines of your life. And then he's going, 
Knock yourself out. Color them in. And that's your best life. But you let him define the lines. It's this way in your life. It's this way in the church. You know, we have a lot of people around here who do a great job of doing something we call leading. And they lead groups, and they lead this, and they lead that, they lead ministries. And that's all fantastic. I thank God for every one of you. But if you really think about leadership, you want to know who's leading the church. The people who are leading the church are the intercessors. They're the ones who are praying for God to show us the lines. The people who come together to pray. Those are the people who are actually determining the course of the church. And then those of us who get to be called leaders, once that is established to us by God, we go, let's color them in. Let's make a life group here and a trip to Brazil there. And But this is all stuff that's coming, all stuff that's coming through prayer. The health of a church is always directly proportional to the vitality of its prayer ministry. Always. Always. So if you'd like to see something happen differently around here, pray. Come to a meeting, gathering, pray. Pray. If you'd like to see something start, something emerge, pray. Pray. Because as long as, as, long as I'm up here, we're going to listen carefully to what God says, and we're going to do it. Does that make sense? Same thing with your life. Say, uh, Tom, give me three ways to pray. Go. Okay. Number one, pray daily. Pray every day. Pray every day. I mean, have a time. It can be five minutes. It can be whatever. It can be longer. It will be longer once you start coming into the presence of God. But just start to pray. Pray every day. Pray daily, at least daily. And what I mean by that is having a deliberate, focused time of prayer where you go, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to do something else and pray. I'm not going to wash the dishes and pray. I'm not going to change the oil and pray. I'm not going to watch football and pray. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go do what Jesus said. I'm going to get as alone as I can. I'm going to shut the door, and I'm going to pray. That's it. doesn't have to be complicated. Whatever prayer is, wherever you are in that old journey, you just, just set aside a time to do it can be just the shortest time to get started, but set aside a time to do it. I encounter people all the time that when I bring this up, they go, oh, you know, I just pray without ceasing. I just pray all the time. I'm like, great. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's just an excuse. No, you don't. You need to set aside a time to connect with God. Not just, oh, I just do all the time. It reminds me of a story of a couple that went in to see a marriage counselor. Married 20 years. Things were falling apart. One of her complaints was this. He never tells me he loves me. In 20 years, he's never said, honey, I love you. The counselor looks at the man. Is this true, sir? And he said, you know what? I told her I loved her on the day that I married her, and I also told her that if I ever changed, I'd let her know. You know, we come to Christ. Oh, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to be a Christian. Come in and take residence in me. And it's a big moment. And is that a, and I'll be here. And if anything ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> Set aside a time. It doesn't have to be long. Some of you, it already is long. But if it's not, just set aside a time. Second, pray humbly. This is so critical and so hard to explain. Pray humbly. Stay humble. There's an insidious kind of progression that can occur in us as we start to get some traction in prayer. 
we start to think we're good at it, mm, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. I, you know, I try to pray every time as though I'm praying for the first time. I really do. I just, I just try not to pray on the basis of yesterday, on my experience, but pray in the moment. And it's always a very humbling kind of thing to think that we're going into the presence of God here. Pray humbly. Stay. Watch yourself. Watch yourself that you don't begin to get cr- proud and think you're good at it and can start kind of commanding things around. I once heard a preacher on the radio years ago say this. I couldn't believe he said it. I was listening to lots of Christian radio back then, back in the early days. And he was trying to make the point that when you pray in the name of Jesus, stuff happens. And he said this. He said, when I pray in the name of Jesus, God snaps to attention. Click. (laughs) He said that. I'll just listen to him. And his point was, you know, that there's power in the name of Jesus, that God honors the name of Jesus. But look, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that can be a very subtle kind of thing that creeps up in us. Pray humbly. Pray humbly. The Bible says pride goes before the fall. Watch it that you don't get proud. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Bible says humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. And then pray authentically. Pray authentically. Pray from your heart. Don't try to pray like somebody else prays. Pray the way you pray. Say the thing that's on your mind to pray. Pray from your heart. The disciples in the Gospel of Luke, they, when this Lord's Prayer came up, they must have noticed that something was different about the way he prayed because they come and say, Lord, teach us to pray like that. And the truth is, the Pharisees, they had all these prayers, these set prayers, these formulaic prayers. Oh, that's your problem here? Pray this a hundred times and see what happens. And, and, he, and Jesus, among the many things he said, was that there's no life in that. He said, when you pray, he said, pray like this. Now, we've made a formula out of the thing we call the Lord's Prayer, but it was, just a, it was such a spontaneous teaching from his heart. When you pray, he says, our Father, which art in heaven. Before you start, authentically, you're my Father? This is incredible. You're my, you're my heavenly Father? Our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, that means holy. That means God, you rock. It's, it start with praise. Father in heaven, you're amazing. You're stinking amazing. I can't believe I get to call you dad. This is nuts. I mean, pray the way you pray. Don't go get all holy and religious. That's exactly what Jesus was speaking against. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You move into that humble surrender. And you just say, Lord, I want to pray about your kingdom. I want to pray about what's on your agenda. I want to pray about what's on your mind. I want you to define the lines of my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then ask him, give us this day our daily bread, bread, bread. I don't see a Lexus in there. I see bread. (laughs) Now, again, if you're stirred to make a bold request, fine. But just make sure it comes after the time, the fellowship with God, and see how the fellowship with God may change the request. That's all I'm saying, all right? And he said, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors or sins or trespasses, depending on which group you're from, right? It all means the same thing. Lord, I need you. I I need you to forgive me. I know that. I'm a sinner. My sin is ever before you, and I need your continuing perpetual forgiveness. I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to do the sins of yesterday. I don't want to recommit them. Lord, but I need you. 
I need you. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, would you cover me? Would you rescue me from this world of sin, from this life of sin? Would you cause my feet to walk away from sin? I mean, this is just authentic praying, isn't it? It's what's in your heart. And then most versions say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, that it goes back to praise. Starts in praise, ends in praise. Hey, you rock, gotta go. When you develop this, and then when you begin to mix in some time of listening, you'll see that God begins to order your steps. Okay? You sure? Is that all right? You know, one of the things I love about this whole concept of living your best life that I've seen in the Bible, over and over again, the Bible says it's always the right time to begin living your best life. doesn't matter how young or old you are. We've got teenagers doing it. We've got old people like Moses and Abraham doing it, Sarah, all these people. It's never the wrong. It's never too late to start living your best life, ever. You can live for the best of your life. That's pretty good. Better Google that, though. And I think the huge difference probably between the way maybe Pastor Joel or Oprah would say, here's how you live your best life, I think they would probably say something along the lines of, you need to take charge of your life. You need to take charge of it. You need to quit fooling around with it. You need to get with it. You need to set some goals, and you need to work hard. And, and I think that's what they would say, and I would say just the opposite. Living your best life is not about taking charge of your life, but it's about giving charge of your life to God. Just saying, Lord... I'm yours. You made me for fellowship with you. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Right? Yeah. The bottom is bottom line is that God loves you. And he wants to order your steps. I think that's pretty cool. Lord, we just bow before you now in the name of your son, Jesus. And I love this church. I love these people. I love the simple, uncomplicated thing that you're doing here, Lord. You're making disciples. I love the way this city is different because these people are part of a move of your spirit here. I love it that this is not the work of a man, but this is the work of your spirit. I love it, Father, that there's no good explanation for why you're doing these things other than that we're just depending on you. Thank you, Lord. You know, and I love it that there are people here today who are walking strong and on top of mountains and have been really digging in with you, and I love that. And I love it that there are people who are struggling, who are just here today saying, God, if you don't show up, I might give up. I love it, Lord, that all these people are here. And I just invite your Holy Spirit to come, Lord, in this time that we've set aside for you to move in our lives, hear our prayers, minister to one another. We just invite you to come, Lord. Come and do what you had in mind from the foundations of the earth to do in these moments of time. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.